we're just following you. You, before the foundations of the world, wrote out the greatest ministry of philosophy of ministry of missions. That was to draw all people to yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. All walks of life, all nationalities, all tongues, all tribes, you bring people from every walk of life to yourself. That was your goal from the beginning. And Lord, we merely join you in what you're doing. And we ask that you would bless missions endeavors, Lord. That we ourselves physically go and be a part of or the ministries that we support with prayer and finances. Lord, we ask that you would let us join you in these efforts. We marvel that you gather people from all walks of life and bring them into your forever family. And so, Lord, thank you. May we continue to give well to this church, Lord, for the needs of this ministry here and Ormond Beach and surrounding areas and for the ministries around the world, Lord. Help us be generous. Help us not withhold funds or be fearful of economies. May we trust you. You are a God who owns all things. And so help us, Lord. It is encouraging to see what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for using us. We are cracked pots where you're shining your light through. And we're glad to be that, Lord. We thank you. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would strengthen us. You encourage those who are here, those who are at home watching. Um, we ask that your word would go forth and not return void. And it would accomplish its purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are in the middle of chapter 12. We have begin to, we are beginning to establish what is going on here. We picked up a theme in chapter 11 that Paul is challenging them on worship. They have not been handling this very well, like most things they have been doing. It has been centered around their own selfishness, their own self-righteousness. Factions within the church have caused this. There's division. They're following certain people. And they found themselves not really being worshipers of God, but being worshipers really of themselves in a lot of ways or their own wisdom or views that they may have. And so Paul begins chapter 12 out with reminding them that the problem is spirituality. You're not spiritual people, as pertains to what the Bible would say a spiritual person is. This will lead into gifts, and we'll get into that today. But he was concerned with their spirituality, and he, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of this. Meaning they aren't aware of it, Right? Uh, self-righteous people aren't aware of that, right? They just think, hey, look at me. <laughs> I don't want you to be unaware of this. You're, you're not catching this. You're not, you're not in understanding what true worship is. In fact, you've let the things of the world integrate themselves into the church, and you found yourself in deception. And he uses verse 2 to say, look, when you were pagans, you were led astray by idols. And what he is saying is you're letting some of that philosophy make its way in here. And it doesn't have any place here. And so he gives them two great statements. He, we talked about this last week. Jesus is accursed, or no one can say that by the Spirit, right? Uh, but only by the Spirit can you say Jesus is Lord. And he shows them the difference of that and what true spirituality uh, is that would make such comments or not make such comments. And then he reminds them that unlike them, the Trinity is about unity. They're about their individualness, right? Look at me. I follow this person. I have this gift. Oh, be it, you know, there's this, there's this real diversity that's not of God. And so he brings them back to what the Trinity is about. Gifts, ministries, effects, energy, uh, varieties of these things. But it's all the same God. It's all the same Lord, Spirit, Christ, Father, all working together to bring this about. Boy, when a church loses its unity in Christ they go to stray fast. And they start grabbing on to things that are external that cause great confusion. We see that today, right? In so many so-called places of worship. And this is where we want to pick up today with this understanding that the, the Spirit empowers unity, now listen to this, through our diversity. Not all have the same gifts. Praise the Lord. If we all had my gift, nobody's listening. <laughs> right? 
So, so we are diverse in our gifts and, and the Spirit, because the Spirit does it, it brings unity to us. This is what he's after. So the title of the sermon, The Power of the Spirit to Unify Through Diversity. So let's look at a couple of thoughts today in this. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives grace gifts. Remember, we, we looked at this word gift and understood the grace aspect of it. So the Holy Spirit gives grace gifts for the common good. Look with me at verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Well, here we see that the Spirit's desire is to manifest something, right? And he wants to manifest something for the common good, which is the body of Christ. Now, manifest means to make something real. So he says, each one. Notice that little term in there. This is very important. Each one. Those who call on the name of Christ. Those who believe in Jesus, salvation through Jesus Christ alone, the members of the true body of Christ, each one are to make themselves available to the working of the Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, all for the common good. Each one. What a key term there, right? You can't push all the gifts off onto um, some people who are on stage. It's one of the biggest mistakes is what you end up with is a church of good sermon listeners. It's a problem, right? It's a problem in American society. They, they lean upon good preachers, but yet they sit back and, and, well, that was a good sermon, let's go. And nothing happens. And so there's a, there's a term here, it's very important in this verse, each one. I think this is key. And I think Christ-centered spirituality is what the Spirit uses in our gifts to create unity for the common good. And when we don't allow the Spirit to use that Christ-centered spirituality in us, we begin to have a few do most of the work, and we lose our unity. Now, another key as I look at this each one is we often find that spiritual gifts are associated with prominent positions. That's a real problem, and it's a, it's a real stumbling block. We think the ordained ones are those who are to be recognized as the gifted people. But that's not at all what Paul's saying here when you understand the context. Every true believer has the manifestation of the Spirit, right? That's what the Bible's telling us as we see in here. Each one has the, the Spirit of God within them. In fact, our pneumatology, the doctrine of Spirit, teaches us that the Spirit isn't gained at some second blessing of something. That's heretical. At the time of salvation, God plants His own very Spirit the third member of the Trinity, in us as his temple to reside forever there. He doesn't come and go. Now, we may quench him, unconfessed sin, blame shifting of all kinds of things. We may quench his work, but we are his temple. And so it all starts with us, that the believer is the temple of God. Chapter 6, verse 19, don't you know that you're the temple of God, Paul says? And, and one way that Spirit makes his presence, no, uh, his presence known is by this gracious offering of his gifts to us. I, I know this is bold, but if you don't serve the Lord, how do you know you're saved? I mean, think about it. The evidence of the Spirit comes through the fact that he makes himself manifest in our life. Now, I'm not saying you're not, but it's something you really better think through. Wait a minute. I say I believe in Jesus, and yet I sit on my hands when it comes to Christianity. See, the Spirit has manifested himself through us. This is the idea here. Or go the other way. Oh, I have all the gifts, and look how great I am. <laughs> you better see if you're saved, right? Because you just robbed the Heavenly Father and the Trinity of his, of his gifting, right, through the Spirit. So here we begin to really realize this was the problem in Corinth. They really truly failed in so many ways to exercise the Spirit's gifts and to give God the glory. Now, this word manifestation, as I said early, means to make real or to reveal something. So the Holy Spirit's revealing himself through the Godhead in one gift or another, right? There's just fun little stuff in here. This word given's in the passive. So that means... <laughs> Passive means that something's done to me, not me doing something towards it. So the Spirit is giving to me passive, not something that, well, I, don't, I really don't like that gift. Can I have that one? Right? No, no. He gives us this gift. It's something he does to us. 
It's a grace gift. I mean, isn't it pretty bad if someone comes up and hands you a gift, you don't like it, you give it back to them? <laughs> oh, thanks, friend. <laughs> no, no, this is the Spirit of God who gives this. This is, this is gifting. It's revealed by the Spirit of God, it's, and it's meant to serve the common good, the entire community of believers. You can't sit on your hands is what I'm saying here, brothers and sisters. If you're saved, God's gifted you. And we're to serve the Lord here. And so the Spirit is seeking to use these individual gifts in individual Christians to edify the church in unity, right? This is what the Godhead does. Ephesians chapter 4, 12, for the equipping of the saints. He gives, he gives God gave to the church. He gives a whole list of different things, apostles and preachers and so forth, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, from a negative side of this, chapter 14, verse 4, and we'll get to this in time, Paul applies the negative aspect of this truth to speaking in tongues, right? So he says, look, tongues don't edify, and prophecy does. So, so he already knows that they're going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He knows that they're going to go, well, look, I'm all gifted, and I'm doing this, I'm speaking this and doing all those things. And he says, yeah, for yourself. So we, not, we know it's not of the Spirit of God because you're exalting yourself, you're profiting from the gifts the Spirit has given, and you're not bringing edification and unity to the church. It is the purpose of our gifts is for the common good. I love that word. Common good. Common good. You remember Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8, or is it 18? I should have wrote it down. He wants to buy the gift of the Spirit, doesn't he? And man, does he get condemned for that. Is that something you can buy? Not saying, well, boy, I want that. You know, how much can I get that? It's from the, it, is, it is truly a work of the Spirit. So clearly the Spirit of God gives gifts to the people so that they would be, be edified and unified. And listen, there is no greater edification than the exaltation of the glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our King. And if it comes from the pulpit, praise the Lord. If it comes from over a cup of coffee at Denny's, praise the Lord. If it comes in an email to somebody, praise the Lord. When you exalt the Lord, you are using your gift to bring unity and edification. And that's God's goal. Second thought, and probably our longest thought here this morning, but this is where we get into the gifts. The Holy Spirit distributes grace gifts to create unity. He creates unity here. Look at verses 8 through 11. Let's read these verses, and then we'll break this down. For to one he has given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healings by the one Spirit, to another the effect, effecting of miracles, into another prophecy, into another distinguishing spirits, into another various kinds of tongues, into another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Well, here we have a list of nine gifts that Paul is listing here, and by no means is this a complete list, right? You get into Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, just a couple of passages, and you see gifts like serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy, hospitality, stewardship, and so forth. But the canon is getting closer. The full scriptures, when you get into 1 Peter and Romans and other places, the scriptures are starting to be more complete, and you're seeing the various of gifts starting to expound. Here, when we look at this in 1 Corinthians, this is not an exhaustive lift. A list, but it's reflecting the nature of the early church and what God was doing in that time, and we're going to talk much about that. Now, even as we look at these nine gifts, you can see distinguishing aspects in them, right? There's temporal gifts here, and there's permanent gifts, and we'll, we'll work through this a little bit this morning. There's verbal gifts, and there's nonverbal gifts. There, listen to this. There's important gifts, and there's actually lesser important gifts. Within this, And we know this because Paul later says the greatest of these is this, or some of these are done away with, right? So, so it's okay. It's okay to say it's, there's some that are, are probably greater than others because some will, will drop off. But the gifts, when we look at them, we, we, some people try to categorize them. I read quite a bit on this. Um, 
I think there's a couple categories that we could look at. There's teaching and wisdom in some of these. You'll see this uh, teaching instruction, wisdom, knowledge, prophecy probably would fall into some of that. There are supernatural gifts. I think faith, and this is what we're going to talk about. This is a different faith than maybe what you're thinking. And there's healing and miracles. And then there's these proclamation gifts, which I think prophecy also falls into. Distinguishing the spirits. I think that's very important to proclaim that. There's tongues and interpretations of this. But what's interesting about this text, and it will stumble you as you try to read it sometimes, is you'll notice that there's this word another used eight times. And there's two uses of it. There's the another that separates what looks like some categories in there. And then there's another that just leads you on to a a gift within that same category. Now, it must be noted that before we briefly, and I mean briefly, look at these individual individual gifts, because Paul's not giving explanation here to them. We're going to give a little bit. That the first, listen, the first century church was an amazing time, right? God was putting on display his glory. He was identifying and authorizing apostles and church leaders to fulfill the Great Commission in spectacular ways. And, and it's, I don't want to lessen this at all. I think it's a beautiful thing. When you think about this time, right now, when 1 Corinthians was being written by the Apostle Paul, there's most likely only three completed letters. Possibly Matthew and most likely James and Galatians. That's all they had. That's all they had. There's, there's no prison epistles. There's no pastoral epistles. There's no book of Hebrews. There's no uh, Peter's letters. There's no rest of the Gospels or John's epistles and, and the revelations. These haven't been written yet. And what God is doing is so amazing because he's drawing people to himself by establishing authority through the apostles and these church leaders. And most importantly, he's pre- they're preaching the supernatural gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I think so often we attach supernatural to, to some of the healings and things like that. And yet certainly they are. We'll talk about those things. But let me tell you about the gospel. It is supernatural. Think about this. It takes dead people and makes us alive for eternity. Blind to see, deaf to hear. It's supernatural, isn't it? And so sometimes people want to run and get caught up in some of the amazing things. We'll look at some of those today, and I think they are still amazing, but nothing is more amazing than the gospel in God's word. It is supernatural what God has done. And you think about these apostles, they're teaching the Old Testament. They're preaching Christ through the Old Testament predominantly. They're also receiving, on occasion, direct revelation And the Spirit's gifting them with wisdom and knowledge and prophecy in order that everyone would hear the gospel in their own tongue in these certain events. This is an extraordinary time in history of the early church. So listen, we should neither be ashamed of it or be fearful of it or, listen to this, abuse it. And unfortunately, the latter statement is what happens so much and with our charismatic friends, is they get abused. As things get abused, they get taken out of context. This is rebuke here. This is not a lesson of how to do these things. So this is an important verse, or a set of verses as we look at this. Now, I think when I think about the Scriptures and how God has given us a completed canon, uh, a, a full document, 66 books from God, Scriptures that are never in conflict with one another, written over 1,500 years of time without conflict. There's no error in them. They're pure inspiration from God himself. They're infallible, and they proclaim God's truth with great authority. I think that's pretty supernatural. And when people come and say, well, I think God's speaking up and above the Scriptures now. I mean, you have to ask the question. You have to go... So my Bible isn't sufficient any longer. So how can I trust it? See, the attack is against God's word, and that's exactly how you start to understand who's behind all this stuff. Our Bibles are sufficient. They are infallible. They are inerrant. They give us everything we need for life and godliness. We do not need anything else. We don't look to anything else. 
And once we do, problems happen. Massive division, massive pride. All kinds of problems come when we look outside the scriptures. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's be a church that trusts the word of God. Let me just remind you of that. The verse you guys all know, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. But we need to read it again. Just to get our minds around these things and be encouraged of this as we venture into these gifts. Many of us have memorized these scriptures from youth. If you haven't, I would encourage you. The Bible says all scripture, all 66 books that God authorized and inspired, are inspired by God. We've talked about this term, that inspired means God put forth energy to create them. They're God-breathed, right? When we breathe, we sweat. Our body's working, there's heat in it. God breathed, he produced these things. And notice they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, so that the godly man, the godly person may be adequate, right? Everything we need equipped for good work. This is what we hold to. The minute we step out of that and we start trusting this guy or this gal and she's got a word for God from God and he's got this and all that, you will find yourself into all kinds of chaos because there's no way to know. We know what the Bible says. We know this is God's authority and we could not ask for a more perfect document And sadly, people are looking. They're looking outside the scriptures. They want to hear something from God. This isn't enough. They need to hear something. Look, people tell me, I need a personal word from God. I go, you got it. When I read my Bible, God is talking to me. I love that. This is a personal letter from my sovereign, almighty God to Scott Menez and to you, believers. And we love its authority. So I want to make that clear. But with that, I want to drop into these great gifts that are given in this early church setting. I think they're beautiful. There's nine gifts given, not with a lot of explanation. But what is clear here is that they're coming from the Spirit. You notice the the prepositions. They come through the Spirit, according to the Spirit, by the same Spirit, by one Spirit. He's using all kinds of prepositions to go, hey, I'm not about disunity. (laughs) I'm about unity. You guys are all disunified, not the Spirit. I think this is a strong teaching on unity, and he's using some struggles within the church to do it. So I think Paul is creating a strong contrast here between the Corinthians, who have created factions and separations. I mean, even in communion, right? Fellowship meals. They couldn't even have a meal together, right? There was so much faction within them. He's using this great contrast to show you're not walking by the Spirit, you're walking by the flesh. And so these three verses are speaking about these grace gifts and they're screaming to us, God loves unity. He loves to use our gifts for the common good. And the Corinthians were in desperate need of this instruction. And what a contrast between the work of the Spirit and the work that was going on there. Now, the first grace gift listed here is wisdom. And I think it falls under this teaching and instruction uh, idea here. And, I, you know, despite the Corinthians' claim, remember chapter 1 and chapter 2, we were really working hard on this, that they, they thought they had wisdom, right? Paul, you're just a, you're a fool. They thought they had wisdom. But it's actually the apostles and those who served with him who were the divine mouthpieces of God who demonstrated true gifting of wisdom, not them. Notice the word in here, he uses the word word before wisdom and knowledge. So he uses the word logos. So right there it starts to tell you that this is a speaking gift that God gives. Now look back at chapter 2 real quick because I want to show you what Paul is why he's kind of referring back to this. This was a huge hang-up for them. They, they couldn't stand listening to him. They said his voice was contemptible to them. He says, well, the cross is foolish to people who are perishing, right? Chapter 1, verse 18. But he says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Well, that doesn't sound like a guy full of wisdom, does it? 
Sounds like a guy fearful, trembling, and weakness. He says, and my message and my preaching were not pervasive, persuasive words of wisdom. That's what they're used to. Hey, look, you know, we like Aristotle and Plato, all those guys, man. They're, those guys, boy, they're wise. And they're great oratorical in their, in their speech and perfection of all of that. Well, he says, look, I didn't come with pervasive words, right, of wisdom. But notice what he does come in, in a demonstration of the spirit of power. And here's why he does. Here's why he leans upon the spirit for wisdom and knowledge, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men. Look, friend, if your faith is in the wisdom of some person other than Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And, and that's what the deceiver does, right? He raises up many antichrists. John says there's many antichrists in the world. Well, they're, they're antichrists because they have a different message, but they look like Christ. Or they try to disguise himself in some way or another. But Paul says, look, I, I don't want you to have your faith rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Verse 6, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. It's kind of a little bit of backhanded sarcasm here. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. All the guys that you're all hung up, they're going to die. <laughs> Our Savior beat death. And the living word has left us the written word. And that's what we're going to hang on to. And look at verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, hidden wisdom. And that's such an important thing because to the Plato's and Aristotle's and all the great oratorical guys that were in their faces all the time, they don't get the simplicity of the gospel. The greatest minds of the world cannot see themselves as sinner in need of a Jesus. I think they're fools. And that's what the Bible calls them, right? And that's why he says the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. So he says this has been hidden from them. Now look at this, which God predestined before the ages of, of our glory. Isn't it sad so many Christians don't like the word predestination? I love that word. <laughs> I find great such solace in this. The Lord's predetermined everything. He predetermined the gospel. He predetermines his children. He predetermines his judgment. He predetermines everything. And we can trust him. What kind of God do you have that doesn't know who he's going to save? Well, I don't know. We'll see. Well, did you create the world? Oh, yeah, I did that, but I don't have no control over souls. This just doesn't make sense, right? So we love predestination because it teaches us that we have a God who sovereignly loves his elect, and he loses none of them. And guess what? He never told us who they are, so we get to witness to everybody. Am I right? Got a thumbs up for Bobby. He's still mad at me about that Egypt talk. <laughs> Where was I? Eight. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood. Man, what a sad thing. A guy like Plato awaiting eternal judgment. Great minds put men in space. Built the internet. Send a picture of me across wherever and it gets there to somebody. It's amazing, and yet, here they are. They're devoid of true wisdom. For if they had understood it, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. So he brings in the ultimate foolishness. <laughs> the wisest men, the wisest religious rulers of the day crucified the Lord of glory. It's astounding. Oh, I gotta get going. I can't get lost in this stuff. This is such a beautiful thing. So despite the Corinthians claimed wisdom they it's the apostles and the leaders who had the were the divine mouthpiece of god right when we look at peter and we think about his god's use of him he speaks tremendous wisdom just listen to this acts chapter 2 22 through 24 the first sermon of the early church men of israel listen to these words jesus the nazarene a man attested to by God, by God with miracles, wonders, and signs. Don't miss that. God's placing his authority on his son through these great things that he did, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. It's an, 
You know he made the blind people see. You watched him raise people from the dead. You cannot deny that. And this is wisdom. This is wisdom and knowledge coming from the apostles. This is the gift of this. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it is possible for him to be held by its power. Now what in tremendous wisdom. He says, our God delivered over his son, and people often ask the question, who killed Jesus? Well, one of the answers has to be his father, right? In this predetermined plan, in foreknowledge of God, he delivered him over for us because there was no other way. He delivers any of us to take care of everybody else's sin, you're all going to hell, right? Priests can't save you. Your parents can't save you. This church can't save you. Nobody can do that. So God delivered his own son as the final lamb put him to death, judged him as though he committed our sins, and so we can be delivered from death, right? That's the gospel, isn't it? But then, what great wisdom. But you nailed him to a cross. <laughs> so, yes, God, in his sovereign plan, delivered of his son to die for us, but sin falls on those who crucified him. That is incredible knowledge and wisdom, isn't it? And man needs to hear this. I am guilty for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because of my sins. And yet, God, through his son, has removed the agony of death because it wasn't able to hold him. So what, what wisdom? I'm spending too much time on wisdom. i got to get going here. I've eight more to go. The, the second gift is, is the word of knowledge here. Again, I think in the teaching and instruction here where wisdom was gifted to the Spirit's revelation, Knowledge reflects the gift to take the revealed truth, now think about this, and apply it to God's ordained purposes in life and godliness, right? So God gave some the gift to take the revealed wisdom of God and help people understand it. That comes from everything from the pulpit to a Bible study leader to a mom at home with her children, helping, her, uh, helping them understand a passage of Scripture, to a dad sitting down after dinner and having devotions. This is an amazing gift to take the truth of God's Word and say, hey, children, church, whatever it may be, here's what it means. Here's how we can apply it to our lives. See, this is why we do soul care and discipleship and all this type of stuff, because we want you to handle the Word of God. We, we know. Listen, as I look at these, I go, all Christians really should have some aspect of this gift. As a Christian, you have the Spirit within you. You should be able to understand the Bible. You should be able to read it on your own. We shouldn't be career uh, sermon listeners. What's your gift? Well, I'm a career sermon listener. I listen to Menez on Sunday, MacArthur on Monday, Sproul on, you know, on a, uh, you know Whatever. You're not a career sermon listener. That's not a gift. <laughs> You're one who takes in the truth of God's word and is able to dispense it to the people around you, workplace, family, wherever it is, that's the mark of a spirit-filled person, right? And so that's what this gift is about. And that's what Peter does in this text in Acts chapter 2. God gives him this revelation of the mystery of God, what God was doing, and he reveals that and he applies it to them. He helps them understand that, yes, God put his son to death, but you're guilty of doing it. What an amazing application. So the Corinthians, listen, they were using human wisdom and knowledge, and all it did is promote self-righteousness and strengthen their factions and divisions. But the Spirit uses wisdom and knowledge to spread the truth of God's word to all people to help them understand it's for God's glory and for the growth of the unity of the church. And if, if you have these gifts... Listen, you will be a channel, you'll be used by God to help other people understand what God is saying. Isn't that what we do? Hey, you know, somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm really struggling, you pray for me. You should pray for me, we're going to talk about that. I think that's part of this gift of healing, actually. Um, but you should sit down and say, hey, can we study a passage together? Or, or maybe I'll go with you to someone who maybe does, can give a biblical answer, and I'll listen to, and we'll look at that together. See, we apply God's word. And look, the goal of that is to bring unity to the church. 
I think one of the reasons that Riverbend has experienced the unity that it has through the years is because it's held to the all-sufficient word of the scriptures. And you can look at churches that we, we respect and watch. If you look at why we look at them, it is not because of the men in the pulpits or whatever it is. It's because of the dispensing of truth. That's, that's what gravitates, and that's why we find each other in ministries and do things together. Next, we come to the, what maybe some call the miraculous gifts. Now, through saving faith, um, I, 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 saving faith is certainly a miraculous gift, right? Me coming to faith is a miracle, trust me. I was dead in my sins. That's a miracle. But I think what he's talking about here, this gift of faith is given to those who God often asks to do difficult things or even extraordinary things. I, I, I think this is a unique gift, right? And it's all done for his glory and for the unity of the church as well. And, and sometimes these gifts are seen in those who pray without ceasing. Prayer, I think, is the outcome of this gift. I think men and women and young people who are what we would call affectionately prayer warriors have this tremendous gift of faith. And I love being with them. They stir my heart. They pray in such a way because they have such deep belief in God and they pray in such a way where you start to be convinced that God is going to do this. Do you like those people? (laughs) They're really fun to pray with, right? And this grace gift of faith often causes you to go to your knees, right? These are, these are men and women in our church, and I know who you are in many cases, not all of you, but I know some of you. And, and, and because, because I, I, I sense your prayers, I, I know them, you, we talk, you, you pray, you're on your knees over things. And, and we're drawn to people in church history like this, right? Like a George Mueller. Some people think of his orphanage. You know why I think of? As a man of prayer. When you read his biography, this man prays. He, his prayer has, he has faith in such a way that it drives him to prayer that he believes God's going to do things that, that are just extraordinary. And he did. When you read that, Mueller had nothing personally. And yet by the end of his death, it was one of the largest funerals ever, ever attended, not because of George Mueller, but because of how God used him in people's lives. Look, yesterday, we said goodbye to the body of Grayson. Many of you were here. It was a service we wept and rejoiced in over and over. Just a tremendous service. But I think, here's my thought here. I think God gave Josh and Victoria a gift of faith. At conception and early on in that growing of that baby, that living being in the womb, uh, making my words very clear, they knew that Grayson had to have a heart. They knew everything. The doctor said, here's what's got to happen. And if you don't do this, he dies in 12 to 14 days, and he has to have a surgery within three weeks. I mean, just, I mean, mind-boggling. And, and what we saw was two people that weren't weeping and bawling the whole time because they, God had given them a gift of faith and time and time again they thought they were going to lose Grayson over all these last four and a half years and God established them and given them faith and they prayed and they asked other people to pray and, and he, he strengthened them for that task. I think that's a gift of faith. And many of you have that. Because God's asking you to go through something difficult. And it may be medical, it may be marriage, it may be... Um, financial. It may be a lot of things. But he gives you a gift of faith that drives you to your knees in dependency upon him in such a way that you know your strength is not coming from you anymore. And yet this, this has been so abused. That's not what God Create it for that somebody has some word from God and have enough faith to uh, get themselves this or that or whatever. What a beautiful gift God gives. I see, I think you see this in all kinds of ways. I think Peter gets given this gift of faith, this one who ran, denied Christ and ran. 
by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, he's preaching the gospel to the killers of Christ. He's, the Bible says he got in the center of them. <laughs> God gave him great faith. Faith the Lord grants to share the truth with loved ones in a loving way that they don't want to hear it, but you share it anyway because you love them, you love the gospel. He'll grant you the faith to do that. So There's probably some in here that need to have hard conversations with somebody in your life. Ask God to give you faith to believe this truth as you speak to them. He'll empower you to do these things. See, the Bible, I want to make sure you understand this. All of us are to live by faith, not by sight, right? We know that. And we should all be doing that. But I think we should ask God for this kind of faith. We need it, don't we? I I know when I try to run on my own strength, I get overwhelmed. I don't know about you. I'll be very honest here. You can get overwhelmed with things. But when I depend on the Lord, when I go to my knees and I trust him and I ask him, Lord, give me faith in this area, he does that, right? He'll give in the time of need. The gift of healing is the next one in the list here. The book of Acts contains so many witnesses of great gifts of healing. These situations, though, are clearly not the result of human medical, right, Uh, practices. That's not part of it. When you study this, you understand that this is the Holy Spirit uniquely empowering a certain situation supernaturally when people get healed. And I love reading these stories, don't you? Either in the time of Christ or in the time of the apostles. Uh, One of my favorites is... In Acts chapter 19, 11 through 12, sake of time, just let me read this to you. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now listen to this. The word picture is clear enough here. So that the that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and the evil spirits went out. That's pretty cool. <laughs> here, go take this to that guy. <laughs> We're worried about COVID, aren't we? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. God was doing amazing things to show his authority over life and death, to show the authority he was given to the apostles. This is an amazing thing and an amazing time of life before the scriptures were completed. And so God's doing these things. He's establishing his gospel around the world. He's recognizing his apostles and giving them authority to preach his gospel, not their own. And and think about this, as the scriptures are being completed, you go a little farther, and Paul has to tell Timothy, hey, drink a little wine for your stomach. How about the handkerchief? (laughs) No, no. Things were changing. Things were changing, and the word of God was being established. The gospel was clear. Books were being ordered in and uh, and ordered, and, and now God was recognizing this authority through his scriptures, and things changed a little bit. But it doesn't take away from the beauty of what God did. Even in the book of James, which is one of our various earliest books, either James or Galatians gets written first there, the sick are admonished to call the elders for what? Prayer. This has always been God's design. He, we come to him through prayer. And when somebody's sick, when somebody comes to you and they say, hey, I'm sick or I have this ailment, I have some of it, what do, what do we say to them as Christians? We will pray for you. This is a great gift, isn't it? So some of these gifts were temporary in that God used a single person in the gift of healing, but now God drives us in our sickness and our disease and our ailments to a dependency upon him, which causes others to pray for us in those times, causes us to pray that God will heal us or sustain us, and he will have his perfect way either way, right? And so one of the things we have to remind ourselves, God's perfect in all that he does. It doesn't feel perfect at times, but God is perfect. When he allows me or you to go through some suffering, he has allowed this into his life. We are his children, and he cares for us, and we have to get to that point. And so that changes our prayer life. God, I know you have allowed me to go through this. I don't understand it at this moment, but give me faith to trust that you can heal me or you can take me home to be with you. You want to have that kind of faith? Ask for it. Ask God to give you that. What a freedom to live that way versus a fear of everything that comes along. And so this gift of miracles is the next one. And I think this is a broader category than healing. Again, the supernatural gifts of 
miracles was temporary in order to establish the authority of the apostles in the early church as it waited on the completion of the God's word. But, but Christ himself exhibited a lot of these spectacular gifts, right? He creates wine, John chapter 2. John chapter 6, he creates bread. He calms seas. He miraculously moves from one point to another. He disappears in, in the midst of an angry mob. I mean, he does all kinds of miraculous things. But the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot of description of the types of miracles that the apostles did. It just says things like this, Acts chapter 14, verse 3, Therefore Paul and Barnabas, they, spent a long time there, they're in Iconium, speaking boldly, listen to this, with reliance upon the Lord, who was who... That's the way we love wordsmithing and working through the Bible, right? Who, who, uh, who refers back to the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done in their hands. I want to read this verse to you. This is so important. Therefore, they, that's Paul and Barnabas, spent a long time there, and that's Iconium, speaking uh, boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who, the Lord, was testifying to his word of his, of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done in their hands. What a statement to understand gifting. It's God doing all those things, not some guy with a $54 million jet. It's God doing those things, and he does this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, again, a great contrast between the Corinth church and Paul's view of apostles. He says this, The signs of a true apostle were performing among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. He's contrasting it. Remember, they're coming up now with their own apostles, right? We hear it all the time. I'm pointing down the street. These guys that now pronounce themselves to be apostles. Well, by definition, you have not seen the Lord. So you're out there. Let alone about four or five other very clear things that made the apostles the apostles and they died out as the word of God came to completion. So look, these apostles and these early church leaders and these people who did phenomenal things in that first century church, they brought glory to God and they unified the church. That's what it did. The demonic and false teachers brought glory to themselves and they drew people away from Christ's church. Now, this brings us to what some refer to as the proclamation gifts. And certainly the gift of pro uh, prophecy, it crosses over to revelation in the first century but i think it has its roots in that wisdom knowledge teaching instruction and even uh even in the prophecy and of it, the instruction of what god's going to do in the future so this this gift in both when you study the old testament and the new testament ha it has to do with the ability to prophesy what will happen in the future listen to this with great accuracy and and prove the one gifted is authentically of god now, I wrote that very carefully because we got all these guys, you know, what was the one, got Christ coming back in 88 or whatever? I mean, we've had them all, right? And day comes, God. I mean, the last one that was out west, what was that crackpot that was out there? Um, guys, people were selling all of their belongings and moving to the San Francisco Bay Area because this guy had convinced them it was over. He had he'd done all the work. People were bankrupted. Because some guy comes up and says he has this. He was not unifying. Pastors were calling up on radios and saying, people are leaving my church and they're, they're, they're going over here. They're following this guy. And this was a big thing out west. And, and, and it's not, that's not unifying. So you know that gift was not of Christ. It was not of the Spirit of God. See, the gift of prophecy is based in wisdom and knowledge and the truth of God's word. And so we look to that. I, I think Paul demonstrated this gift in Acts 27. He's on the boat. He's, he's going up to his court, and the boat gets in a bad wreck, and he says, if everyone stays on this ship, they will live. They sail on the ship, and they all live. <laughs> he said, if you get off it, you'll die. You stay on the ship, you live. It, it, Paul did this. God gave, God gave him that, and he prophesied what would happen, and they were all saved. But this, this too, though, is, falls into, according to chapter 13, verse 8, that these gifts that will cease. Love will never fail. I can't wait to preach 
um, chapter 13. I'm so looking forward to that now that I understand the greater context of the, of the book of 1 Corinthians. But notice he says, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there's tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, they'll be done away with. There, there's certain aspects of this that are temporary, right? Because God gives us the word of God. So I do believe prophecy is still a gift today, though. But here's what it comes from. It comes from correct studying with a correct hermeneutic to understand what the Bible says of coming events. When I was in the book of Mark not too long ago, I came to the Olivet Discourse. That's not an easy passage to study. Um, hours and hours and hours of studying. I, I, I felt very comfortable with going forward to tell you what things are going to look like when, God come, when Christ comes in his judgment. And we sat there and we marveled at those passages of all those things that have not happened yet that will happen in time. And really, that was just a prophetic sermon based in the scriptures. It was not of my, me. And so I still think prophecy happens. If we get in and we start to talk about end times, that's prophecy, right? When I grew up, we had these things called prophecy conferences. And some guy would come by and they would teach on Revelations and Daniel and, and a lot of the prophetic books and help us understand what things were coming, right? So we still have people who exercise great wisdom and knowledge in these areas. They study the Bible. They study the collection of the books, Old and New Testament, to determine the future events. Now, where it gets, where it gets slippery is people start to trying to do that to, to ease their own mind or find their own pleasure in it. The gift of prophecy brings people together, not separates them. The gift of property, uh, prophecy is something that edifies you. In fact, you come away and you worship God. I know when I got done with all of it, just of course I said, oh God, nobody can do this but you. This is going to be amazing events when you pour out your wrath on this in this world. And, and you, you're overwhelmed with it. Now, when you think about the first century, what's amazing as God uses his apostles and these church leaders to prophesy things like even the death of, of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, right? In Acts chapter 5. I mean, these things happened, right? And, the, and these miraculous gifts were, were going on, but there's no doubt that God was using them to unify the church and have his gospel go forward. There's another gift here called the gift of distinguishing of spirits, or you could translate it discerning of spirits. And I think, ooh, I think every... Oh, I just looked at the clock. I think every Christian needs this, right? I, I think that's what he did in verses 2 and 3. He reminds them that they were once pagans. They were led astray by mute idols. Um, and, and this is a great discerning. Or do you see Jesus accursed? Do you understand the difference in that statement? Or do you see him as Jesus as Lord that takes discernment, right? And remember, there's a father of lies. He's called Satan, right? And John chapter 4 verse 1 says, his Beloved believers... Do not believe every spirit, but test spirits to see if whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right? There's a connection between false prophets and spirits in this passage. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I think he's doing a really good job with American prosperity Christian gospel. That's why you call it charismatic chaos. That's what Satan creates, not unity, not glorifying Christ, not edifying people. And so the Corinthians were already in this climate of demonic deception, right? They came out of this demonic idol-worshiping world. They were trying to bring some of those practices into the church. And so counterfeit Christianity was a real problem then. And is a problem what? Now. It's a huge problem. Counterfeit, they do, when you're going to counterfeit a dollar bill, you're going to make it look as best it can to the real thing. But it's not. And that's what we're dealing with in today's Christianity in so many ways. And men and women have to learn by the studying of God's word, by the exercise of this gift, asking the Lord to help them, but they've got to know God's word. That's how he's going to help you to determine what is counterfeit and what is of God. And listen, Satan was working overtime in the beginning of the church, right? If he can get them at the beginning, he still does this today. New Christians who realize they're sinners, if he can get them at the beginning and deceive them, he, he can win a great battle. And so he's always there trying to stop the progress 
the progression or, or even the progressive sanctification of somebody, but certainly in the progress of the church, and he was here. There's so many good examples of this. Paul's walking down the street in Acts chapter 16, and these two yehus that have this demonic little girl who's fortune-telling for them, she comes up and she says this. Listen to what she says, Acts 16, 16. These are bondservants of the Most High. Um, I wrote this down. Who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's a really good statement, isn't it? Paul turns and says, get out of her. <laughs> Wait a minute, Paul. She just said, you're, you guys are bondservants. You call yourself a bondservant in every one of your epistles. She's saying you're bondservant. She says you're preaching the gospel, preaching the way of salvation. Oh, Paul knew God would never use evil spirits to proclaim the gospel. And he immediately said, get out of her. It cost him. He got beat badly and ends up in prison over this. Right? We see this. Acts chapter 19, verse 13, you're the sons of Scevia. These guys... These guys want to cast out demons. They want to do what the apostles are doing. They're counterfeiters, right? And so this demon speaks to this man and says, hey, we know Jesus and we know Paul. Who are you? And, this, and the man who was demon possessed jumps on him and beats him up. I mean, that's a crack-up passage in a lot of ways. When you look at this. Look, counterfeiting is all over out there. Satan is trying to deceive this world. But he can't deceive Christians with the Spirit of God in them. Because we have the Word of God, and that's what the Spirit leads us to. And that's such an important thing. Oh, can I squeeze in one more? Can you just bear with me? The gift of discernment brings people together, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 5 says, I, am, I say this to your shame. You're suing one another. That's what he's about. You can't go to men who can decide these things. You run to the courts. James says, if you don't have wisdom, ask for it. So these things, these things are missing. They're missing within the church. And so, so many of these things were going wrong in the church of Corinth. And it affected what biblical prophecy should have been, what true tongues, and I'm going to quit here, but boy, I'm gonna, when I come back, I promise you I'm going to get into tongues because it is a massive issue. Um, look up the word glossa. It's the Greek word. I mean, doesn't take you hard to understand what true tongues were. But this was a problem here, and it's a problem today. Today, the church is inundated with pressure, I think, to integrate philosophy and psychology and all of that stuff. We're integrated, inundated with that stuff. But we have biblical discernment, right? And think about this. The elders pray for protection, um, over the congregation. God, give them biblical discernment. Parents, pray over their children. Give them biblical discernment, God. Children, guard themselves from peer pressures. They, they learn to, to, to look at the Bible and understand that they don't go into those things. And Cannon was walking out of the house last night, and uh, he goes, Dad, aren't you going to say it? I go, what, you, what am I supposed to say? You always told me, make good choices. <laughs> <laughs> My mom and I got him cracked up. Here's our adult son, been in the military. Dad, aren't you going to say it? He said, when the boys left the house, he said, hey, make good choices. Biblically think. Make good discernment. Well, the problem in the church in Corinth is they weren't doing this. And they couldn't distinguish spirits. They couldn't distinguish what was of God and what wasn't. And they lost their unity. And they were a mess. But we don't want to be that way. We want to be men and women, boys and girls of the word of God in a church that God says, my spirit is free to, to use the gifts that he gives to these, these children of mine to bring great unity and great edification to them and those around the world. If we want to continue to be used around the world, we got to get this right. That's what we got to do. Not, not just us elders, all of you too. And God will keep using us for his glory. Amen. Let's sing a song. Father, thank you for this time together, Lord. I, 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 I really enjoy this, Lord. It's so helpful to us. There's such confusion out there, Lord. But when we get to your word, the actual word of God, when we allow the spirit of God to help us interpret it rightly, to use our correct hermeneutic and come to the Bible in the way you have taught us to come, Lord, to trust it and believe it, we see through these things. We see what is counterfeit and what is not, Lord. 
And that causes us to be unified and to edify one another and to help others that may be confused or drifting away from the truth. Lord, Lord, help us in these, that we would receive these gifts from the Spirit, each one of us, and that all of our gifts, Lord, no matter what they fall under, what category they may fall under. And Lord, there's so many more gifts than what's listed here, but all of them, Lord, they unify us. Lord, I ask that you would unify families. I, I ask that you would unify BFGs and, and crossroads ministries and, and children's ministries and youth ministries and unify us, Lord, throughout individually within our church and then corporately unify us. And Lord, may we always come away because the person in this pulpit preaches the word of God that we come away edified. And Lord, tomorrow morning, many people will open their Bibles and study it for themselves. Lord, I pray they would find great edification and unity as they study, Lord. Lord, thank you for this, Lord. May you strengthen us. Come to you in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.